Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and to renew the kingdom there. And all the people went to Gilgal and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And there he made sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel, they rejoiced greatly. Probably in in Samuel, there was a little sense of discouragement, failure. Like he had been the judge, a prophet in Israel, and then all of a sudden, they want a king. All of a sudden, there's a transition. And we're going to read about that, why they wanted it uh, in this chapter. We referenced it last week. uh, But right now, we're going to see a couple things in this chapter. We're going to hear Samuel's testimony. We're going to hear God's testimony of his faithfulness, the people's testimony, kind of of their unfaithfulness, but then God's heart in spite of their unfaithfulness uh, in this chapter. So we start out in verse 1 of chapter 12. It says, Samuel said to all Israel, Indeed, I have heeded your voice in all that you've said to me, and I've made a king over you. So he tells them, listen, I've done this because you asked for it. This was your idea, right? And, and Samuel wants to make that clear. And now he begins to go into his testimony. And it's, and it's uh, very important for us to look at. I think there's some things that, would, that, uh, that are worth looking at here. It says, now here is the king walking before you, right? And, and Saul is head and shoulders above everyone. He's the most handsome guy in Israel, right? He's, you know, he's the model king. Uh, wealthy, powerful, handsome, big and strong, taller than anyone. And, and he says, here's your king walking before you. And look at me, I'm old and gray-headed. And look, my sons are with you. I've walked before you from my childhood unto this day. He says, listen, I've walked in the public eye my whole life. My whole life, I've lived my life in a fishbowl where everyone's able to see what I'm doing, to watch my life. And he says, I've been doing this since I was young. And that's the amazing thing, guys. That's, the, that's what we know we can do, what our kids can do. Our kids can walk with the Lord from a very young age and accomplish that, right? If we train our children, teach them, uh, it's possible, right? It doesn't mean everyone's going to do it. Our kids, sometimes they can take a right turn when we least expect it uh, in life, unfortunately, but we don't want them to, and it doesn't have to be that way. And, and, and Samuel is a guy that proves that fact. He's, he's lived his life in that fishbowl as a testimony to, this, to, to these people, and that he can walk with the Lord. And he says, listen, and he says, and my sons are, are with you. Probably two things there about his sons. Number one, if you remember in chapter 8, that was the problem they had, that his sons are not walking with the Lord. They're actually stealing money and, and, and taking bribes and different things. And number one, probably Samuel pulled them out of that position, that that's not what they're doing anymore. Listen, I get it. And now, now they're with you guys. They're not over you. They're with you guys. That's, that's the first thing that Samuel said, yeah, you're right, guys. That's what my sons are doing. And he, and he pulled them out of ministry. And then number two, if you've ever had your kids go to Sunday school, but more importantly, if you've ever taught Sunday school and you're down there 
and you ask the kids, does anyone need prayer? And they raise their hand. Yeah, my dad smokes. Uh, he yells at my mom. He swears, right? If you've ever taught Sunday school, you all of a sudden get a bigger picture of what's going on in people's houses, right? It's, 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 some of it's not true, right? Kids embellish and talk and whatever. Uh, but you get a good picture, like, so you got to be careful sometimes with Sunday school, the questions you ask the kids, right? You might get more information that you need, but what a testimony. He says, listen, and my, my sons are with you. They bear witness of my life, who I am, you know, in ministry and at home, it lines up, it matches up. I'm not a different person at home than I am at church. That's what Samuel's saying, and we can live that life. You should live that life. If not, it's hypocrisy, right? People say that there's, there's, you know, we can be three different people. The people that we think we are, the people that other people think we are, the person that other people think we are, and then the person that God knows we are, right? And we need to make the right adjustments according to what God knows and his assessment of our life. That was the problem with the Laodicean church, their assessment was, we're rich, we're increased with goods, and we have need of nothing. But God says, no, 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 you don't even know that you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. You have nothing. Their assessment was, we're all set. We don't need anything. God says, no, 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 that's not true. It's not true. So we got to be very careful. And I'm, you know, we're getting in the word of God. That's the most important thing. We're going to read... Hebrews chapter 4, right? The word of God is quick and powerful. It's living and active, and it goes inside, and it cuts, and it does surgical work in your life and mine. That's why the devil doesn't want you in the Bible. That's why your flesh doesn't want to, oh man, I'd rather turn on a TV show or read a different book, because you get in the Bible, and you get serious with the Lord, and then he starts working on your life. You're convicted, you're challenged, right? So he says, my kids are with you. My sons are with you. And I've walked before you from my childhood to this very day, right? It's possible to do that. And, and what he's doing here, we, as we move into verse three, he invites them and welcomes them to examine his life and his public ministry. Right? And this is a pretty big stage. This is where you know, they're all coming together at Gilgal. And, he's, and, and he poses this question. He asks them to examine his life. Listen, this is what he says. Here I am, witness against me, verse 3, before the Lord and before his anointed, that's the king, whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey has, have I taken? Or whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed, or from whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? I'll restore it, right? He's saying, listen, from my recollection, I can't remember. I will restore it, though, but I don't think I've done those things. That's not the life I'm living. I don't think I've cheated anyone or taken anything from anyone or, or taken a bribe so I would turn my eyes away from, from justice. I'm not living that way. I'm not doing that. I'm not cheating anyone. And he invites this on a very big stage. And let me suggest 
something to you guys. If we want to be biblical, there needs to be accountability in our life. We need to have people in our life, right? And he, he welcomes this for people to say, hey, and, and I'm wondering, and we're going to look at this in the next couple of verses, is there someone or people, because this is a huge stage, he's saying, is there anyone? Tell me, because I want to make it right. So number one, something you need to remember and something I need to remember, uh, we need to be approachable. Are you approachable? Can someone tell you something about your life without you biting their head off? Without you, with, are they afraid to tell you something? Even the closest people to you, your husband, your wife, your kids, your friends, co-workers, brothers and sisters. Or are you just not willing? But Samuel here, he invites it. He's approachable. Guys, come and tell me. Right? There's a lot of people there. If someone came up, they're, they're maybe less afraid if a couple people go up, right? But he's approachable. He's transparent. There's no deception. Hard to be deceptive when, on that stage. He's humble. He's loving. It takes humility and love to ask those hard questions, doesn't it? For someone to say, hey, what have I taken? What have I done? Am I doing the right thing? What, what's my life look like to you? Right? Because the way we see ourselves often is in a little bit of a skewed light. Right? Solomon says everyone does what's right in his own eyes. Right? Every, every way unto man is right in his own eyes. Right? Because it's hard for us to see flaws in ourselves. But it's good to have someone an outside source to say, hey. And he's teachable. He's willing to listen. He's willing to hear it. And he's got a heart of reconciliation. He wants to make things right. So he asks him that question. Paul did the same thing in the book of Acts. He says this, I haven't coveted any man's silver or gold. Right? I, ha I haven't done it. It was his farewell to the elders in Ephesus, and he reminds them, listen, I haven't coveted anyone's silver or gold. I've lived above reproach that way. That wasn't my motive for being here in Ephesus. It wasn't my motive for serving here. It wasn't money, not coveting what you guys have. Right? And then he told the Corinthians believers, He says, I haven't cheated anyone. I haven't wronged anyone. I haven't corrupted anyone. My life has been an example. I haven't corrupted you by my example that you might live and do what I'm doing, but I've been a good example to you. I haven't corrupted anyone. I haven't wronged anyone or cheated anyone. And that should be our life because, you know, here's the reality is your life, and I know I've said this before, your life is the first Bible most people read. You go to work, or you're around different people, and you're a Christian, they're reading your life. They're not grabbing, you know, the King James Version, or the New King James. They're grabbing you, and they're looking at your life, whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, that's what they're doing. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 
1 Corinthians 9. We may have looked at these verses over the last few months. I can't remember. But Paul talks to them about running their race. Because that's what we're in. We're running a race, right? It's an endurance race. It's a long-distance race. In verse 24 of chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, he says, Do you not know that those who run in a race, they all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you might obtain it. The Corinthians would be familiar with uh, with the Ithmus games in Corinth that are held, uh, I don't know how often they were held, but people would show up a year in advance to start their training. These guys are already trained, but they would show up a year in advance to start training for these races. That's how intense it was, right? And they're all, then, 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 he's, then he puts them right at the starting line of this race. And he's trying to remind them, listen, people that line up at that line They've done a lot of training up to that point. They get there a year in advance, and they're ready to go. They don't get to that line and think, ah, can somebody hand me a Mountain Dew? Or can somebody give me a, you know, a large pizza? Or you know, whatever it is. These guys are training physically, their diets, everything. They're ready to go. right? I would ask for that, but these guys who are training are not asking for that. right? These guys are, have their bodies conditioned to start this race and to win this race. They're running to win this race, right? He says, so don't you know that those who run in a race, they all run, one receives the prize, run in such a way that you might win that prize. Run that way. Run your race the one that's laid out before you. And then he says this, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. They're, you know, they're, they have self-control, right? The salad with grilled chicken is on this side and then the, the garbage plate's on this side. They're like, that does look good, but I'm going to make the right choices, right? They're temperate. And all things. And they do it to obtain a perishable crown. This little laurel wreath, right? That they'll sit on a shelf and they're not going to wear it around probably. Uh, but we do it for an imperishable crown. A crown that can't be taken. One that you'll have forever. Maybe those are the crowns that we cast before the Lord's feet. I want to have a crown that I can cast at his feet. Right? Something that's eternal. Rather than how often do we spend time on things that are so temporal? A perishable crown. How, you know, how many of us, you know, and we do it, and I wish I did it more, but we work on our diets, our exercise, and that's our thought for the day. But we set aside reading the Bible and journaling and praying and getting to church. Like That's, that's the comparison of the eternal versus the temporal, the perishable versus the eternal. Right? We work so hard at certain things, but the valuable things, we, we kind of let, let them go. We don't worry about forgiveness and love and spending time with the Lord and reaching out to people, evangelize. Those things we set aside at times. 
He says, therefore, I run this way. I run. I wake up in the morning conditioned. I run this way. Not with uncertainty. I don't think, well, today, you know, I was running down this road. I know the finish line's that way, but I might go this way today. Maybe I'll go back and run into the crowd. No. He says, I run with certainty, and I fight not as one who beats the air. Now he's talking about shadow boxing. Right? Paul often you know, referenced racing and running and, and wrestling and fighting and you know, these competitions. He has a heart of competition. We should. like, Let's run. He says, I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. I make it obey. I don't let it run my life. I don't wake up and think, I'm just going to eat whatever, do whatever, sleep in, watch whatever. No, I discipline my life. I live a disciplined life. I have a, 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 a regimen every day. Like I wake up, I get up a half an hour early so I can get in the Word, so I can pray. I discipline my body. I bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. I fall out of the race. Like, the, your preaching has value. Lots. Paul's saying, but I could live in a way that I could be disqualified, that I fall out of the race, that what I'm doing isn't of value anymore. Paul told Timothy, if you turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, First Timothy 1, chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4, I'm sorry. Did I say 1? Probably did, didn't I? 1 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 12. He tells, Paul tells Timothy, he says, Let no man despise your youth, but be an example to the believers. Timothy, you need to be an example to believers. Your life should be an example to other believers. Be an example. It literally means to leave a mark, right? But that's your life. Wherever you go, you're leaving a mark, an impression by how you're living your life. When you go to work, the way you talk, the way you act, the way you live. So he says this, leave a mark, Timothy to believers, because he's a pastor. Let your life be an example. In word. In what you say. How's your language? What do you talk about? What's the mark of your life? Are you a gossip? Do you talk about people whether you know the story or not? Are you, are, is it your desire to run somebody down? I don't know. What's your mouth telling people? Because you're leaving a mark. How about your conduct? The way you conduct yourself. The way you live. If people looked at your life, what you're doing. 
How's your conduct in love? Are you loving? You're leaving a mark. Are you a loving person? In spirit, what's your attitude when you do? Yeah, I'll clean that. Get out of my way. Give me that rag, right? What's your attitude? Yeah, I'll shovel the steps. Stupid kids, where are they? Right? What's your attitude in your spirit, your attitude? In faith, are you a, can, I, can someone trust you? Are you faithful? I'll be there at 6.30, 7.30. Hey, you're not here. I'm just getting out of bed. You said you'd be here at 6.30. What are you talking about? Right? Are you a faithful person? That's your example. You're leaving a mark. Impurity. That's huge. You live a pure life. People see it. You talk one way at church and another way around people from work. You're leaving a mark. It's a testimony. Right? And, and that's what Samuel's saying. That's, that's what he's telling these people. Man, I, I, have I done anything? I want to get... You can turn back with me to 1 Samuel. In their response, verse 4, they said, You have not cheated us or oppressed us, nor have you taken anything from any man's hands. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed, anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my, hand, in my hand. And they answered, He's witness, right? It's good to have a few people in your life that are willing to say something. And verse 6 says, Then Samuel said to the people, Now he begins to talk about God's testimony. Samuel said to the people, it is the Lord who raised up Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord which he did to your fathers. Right? So now, because he has a good testimony, it puts a little weight on what he's trying to tell these people. Right? You wonder why, man, no one's listening to me on the job. Or no one's listening to me at work. Or my, my, you know, these people don't listen to me. But what's your testimony around them? What's your testimony? Because if it's bad, they're probably not going to listen to you. Right? They know who you are. You're not faithful. You're not loving. You're not kind. You're not, you know, go through the whole list. I can't trust you. You miserable attitude. I, oh, now you want to tell me how much Jesus loves me? I don't think so. I don't want to hear that. Because I'm watching your life. I'm watching your life. I know what you can be super faithful. I tell them about the Lord every day. But how are you living around that person? What are you doing around that person? So he says, okay, now I want to tell you something. Stand still. I want to tell you something. It was God. You know, so often, you know, we'll sit here at church or you hear a Bible study on the radio or you'll be somewhere and you'll think, wow. I wish they were here for that. I wish they would have heard that message. I remember when I got saved, 1994, I got saved, and I just started listening to the radio station, 99.7, all these pastors on the radio. I remember I would hear a, a, a message, and I'd be like, I got to get that. They need to hear this. Now, I remember calling, and back then it was 
tapes. It was cassette tapes. And we'll have that to you in four weeks. Uh, four weeks? They're going to die before four weeks. This is crazy. I can't wait four weeks. They needed to hear this today. And the Lord's like, no, you needed to hear that. That was for you to hear. Not for your husband or your wife or your friend. That, was for you. that message was for you. Let, why don't you digest that and take it in, right? So he says, listen. Listen to what I'm saying. Stand still. And they want to listen. They're willing to. He says this, when Jacob had gone into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought you brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. And when they forgot the Lord, note that, right? They cried to the Lord, then they forget the Lord their God. He sold them into the hand of Sisera, the commander of the army of Hazor, into the hand of the Philistines, into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. And then they cried to the Lord and said, We have sinned, we have forsaken the Lord, and served Baals and Ashtoreths, but now deliver us from the hand of our enemy, enemies, and we'll serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubbabel, Bedan, Jephthah, Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you dwelt in safety. And if you follow the, just the book of Judges, you see that that's a pattern. Right? They, they, they're walking with the Lord, and then they forget the Lord, and then, they, then the Lord chastises them, corrects them because he loves them. It's just as valid as the, as the saving them out of the hands of their enemy. Correction is just as loving. Moms and dads can bear witness to that with your kids, right? You don't just, oh, that's fine, son. You can play with that running chainsaw at four. You know, whatever. You, you correct them. You teach them. You, you know, whatever. You don't just let them do whatever they want because you love your kids. And, and, and someone who, if you're a good mom, a good dad, you correct them. You chasten them. You have to punish, not punish them. It's not punitive, but you have to correct them in love. Right? So it's just as valid, but they're in a pattern of crying out to the Lord. The Lord delivers. Then they forget. Then the Lord chastises them. And then they cry out again. And in just the book of Judges, you see that pattern seven times. Maybe it's the pattern of your life. Maybe that's what you do. Man, I got to get back to church. This is great. This is the best thing for me. And then things smooth out in your life. And the Lord, because he loves you, he embraces you. He wants to put your feet on a right path, walking with him. And then after a month, two, three, then it's like, oh, yeah, let's, yeah I'll go out. Saturday night, Friday night, let's go, let's do, you know, whatever. And then you're off doing your own thing again. And then things in your life begin to fall apart, and the Lord allows it. And you're like, well, that's not very loving. No, it is. Because if they stay on that road, they're doomed. It's loving to put someone back on the right path, right? It's very loving. But it's something, just like the children of Israel, that we can get into, a pattern we can fall into. Getting close to the Lord, things are hard, and then things get better. He rescues you, and then, man, then you, then you veer away. And that was their pattern. So he's reminding them of that. Verse 12, and when you saw Nahash, here's the problem. When you saw Nahash, king of the Am Ammonites, come against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us. 
when the Lord your God was king. So instead of crying to the Lord this time, cried for a man. You asked a man to give you a man. Right? And then it says, Now therefore, here's the king whom you have chosen, whom you have desired. And take note, the Lord has set a king over you. And if you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord. However, like a couple conditional clauses there. If you, however, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your father's. but he meets them right where they're at. Okay, we take a king. All right, here's a king. God still loves you. You can still walk with the Lord. Your life has value, even though you've made a mistake. You've failed. You've fallen. God still loves you. He's on your side, and you can have a fresh start today, even with yesterday's mistake and the past. He's saying, listen, all right, that's fine. You've got a king. You understand. Let's start fresh. But don't turn back. Why learn that lesson again? Right? And so he warns them. And then he says, Therefore stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is today not the wheat harvest? So end of May, beginning of June, he says, I will call to the Lord. He's going to pray here. And he will send thunder and rain that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great what you have done in the sight of the Lord and asking a king for yourself. So Samuel called to the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. So he's teaching them a lesson. And here's, here's a miracle because it wouldn't rain then. It'd be like saying today is going to, when you leave here, it's going to be sunny and 80, right? <laughs> Not going to happen, Right? And that's, that's what he's saying, you know, it didn't rain during the wheat harvest at all. And he says, it's going to rain today. And it would be destructive on the crops. And, and he's reminding them who's in charge. He's rem also reminding them of God's ability and his power. Like, look what God could have done for you if you would have cried to him. Look what he, what he wanted to do. Look at his power like, I'm just going to pray for rain. That's pretty simple, and it's coming. Imagine if instead of crying for a king, you would have cried out to the Lord for help, what he wanted to do, right? I think of the lesson that Jacob had to learn. Jacob and Esau, and Jacob, you know, wants the birthright. He wants the blessing, and how did he go about getting it? He tricked, he schemed, he planned, he did all these things, and because he did that, God wanted to give it to him. He wanted to give him the birthright and the blessing because Jacob actually loved the Lord and wanted to follow him. But Jacob was a sneaky guy. So he went about it his own way. And now we'll never know what amazing things God was going to do to give him the birthright and the blessing because Jacob had to get it his own way and do his own will. But you know what? Jesus, God stayed with him didn't stop anything. It just was more God had to teach Jacob until finally he changed his name to Israel, governed by God. Lord, I trust you. I trust you. We need to get to that point. God, I trust you. So they'll, they miss it. 
And then verse 19 says, all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants. And then this is so unfortunate. He says, pray for you. They say, pray for your servants to the Lord your God. That we may not die. For we have added to all our sins the evil of asking a king for ourselves. And they listen. They listen. Uh, and they ask for prayer. All right, pray. Um, we need forgiveness, right? But unfortunately, they're, they're, they're still not where they should be. Pray to the Lord your God. So they ask for prayer. Um, the Bible is a great accountability partner, isn't it? You know, I referenced he, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the, the, the Word of God. That's why it's so important to be in there because it, it, it searches you. It's like God's searchlight in your life and it shows you what's in there and it tells you what's wrong, right? And then to have brothers and sisters, and I know I already mentioned that, people in your life that can tell you something, to bring confirmation of maybe what God's telling you. If I were to tell you you're unloving, you're unforgiving, you're prideful, or you're dishonest, you know, would you bite my head off? Or your husbands or your wives? You know, you can't tell me that. Would you deny it? Would you say you're judging me? Would you excuse it? Blame others? David had a Nathan who came to him and said, hey, laid out the scenario to him, and then he's like, you're the man, David. It's what you did. This is all the wrong that you did. And David didn't say, get out of here. Have this guy killed. No, he said, Lord, against thee and thee only have I sinned. I'm wrong. He owned it. Right? It's nice to have a Nathan. We need Nathans in our lives. Allow them in. Right? So they confess here. They confess. We've added to all of our sins and our evil in asking for a king. So they see the error of their ways, where they're wrong. And Samuel said to the people, don't fear. And he doesn't downplay it. You know, we want to do that. Somebody confesses or say it says something to you, and we're like, oh, no, 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 it's fine. Oh, you're great. Your heart's awesome. You're a wonderful person. Samuel says, uh, don't fear. You have done all this wickedness. Yeah, you're right. That was wrong. Yet don't turn aside from following the Lord, but serve him with all your heart. God wants us to. He welcomes us in. He embraces us. He says, and don't turn aside, for then you would go after empty things, vain things, your Bible might say, which cannot profit or deliver, for they're nothing, right? Sometimes, turn to Hebrews 12 with me just for a second. We're going to close right here. So many things in our life can be vain things, right? Not necessarily sinful things, but they can be vain things, empty things, unnecessary things, things that don't help. They impede your, you from running your race. Here's the race, but I'm going to put, uh, you know, uh, put my backpack on with 50-pound with dumbbells in it and see if I can make this thing go, right? It's not going to happen. People, you know, that run races, they wear these little shorts and a little tank top, and, you know, they have a little number and little shoes, maybe no socks, 
right? They, they want to have less weight on them, not more. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. You may not have a sin in your life. You may, may not have some, some catastrophic, like this main thing that God wants to, but you might have some weights. It's just some junk in your life that God wants that's holding you back. You can barely walk, let alone run. Cut that off, right? That can be, you know, hey, you're reading a book. Books are fine. Compare reading your novel or your action adventure or spending two hours in front of the TV watching this great movie compared to the time you spend in the Word or, or reading. Something that's of value versus empty things, right? Books or music or your phone. That's the biggest snare, I think, going on today is, is, is our phones. They hold us back and they impede our progress. Verse 22 says, for the, listen, this is super important. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but you need to know this. For the Lord will not forsake his people. Right? That's good to know. Even our past failures, our mistakes, God's not going to forsake you. He loves you. Hebrews says that he'll never leave us or forsake us. So many times in the Old Testament, God tells someone, fear not, I'm with you. Don't be afraid to keep going, I'm with you. You can keep going. He tells the disciples that, that I'm with you even to the end of the age. Go and make disciples. And how do we do that? How do we, we accomplish God's call in our life? Go make disciples. Go do something for my kingdom. He says, I'll be with you. I'm right here, right, right by your side. I'm not going to leave you, even to the end of the age. I'm not going anywhere. That's his commitment to us. He loves us. He won't forsake his people for his great namesake because it pleased, listen, if you circle in your Bible or underline, he won't forsake, and then it says he pleased the Lord. It pleased the Lord to make you his people. He's so thankful to have you, right? I heard a pastor say years ago, and I always think it, you know, he knew what he was getting when he got us, right? All our flaws, failures, our mistakes, and he overpaid for us, right? He overpaid. That's worth 10 bucks here. I'm going to give you my son. He's actually going to die for you. Well, you only needed 10 bucks. I, got, I paid it all. He overpaid for us because of his love. He cares so much for us. It pleased the Lord to make you his people. He cares for you. So many people think, man, God can't love me. I've done this, 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 this. Man, I've failed so many ways. Guess what? He does love you. There's an empty cross and a tomb in Israel to prove it. Something we're going to celebrate in a couple weeks. He cares so much. You need to know that, or how can you walk with him? How can you keep going? If you don't know God loves you, how can, who would ever want to follow him? He loves you. He'll never leave you. He corrects us when we need it, because he's loving that way. 
And then he says, moreover, as for me, be it far from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and right way. Remember verse 19, they're like, pray for us. And, and Samuel's like, I am praying for you. I'm not going to stop. That's God's heart. It's actually prayerlessness. Samuel says is a sin, prayerlessness, to stop praying. He says, I'm going to pray, and this is the right order. I'm going to pray, and then I'll teach you. Moms and dads, you should be prayerful, and then teach your kids. He says, I'm, gonna, I'm praying for you, and I'm going to teach you the good and right way. That's the right order. And you remember his name, his life, his mom's history, how she prayed for, for Samuel. His name means asked of the Lord, right? Imagine him sharing that with his kids. I just picture her sharing that with Samuel. I prayed and prayed and I prayed for you. And then God gave you to me. And I gave you right back. And, and, and would continually she would probably tell him this story of, of his life. And then, so I had to name you Samuel, asked of the Lord, right? This guy was a man of prayer. He says, I'm not, I've always prayed for you. The value of prayer. Uh, and verse 24 says, only fear the Lord, serve him with truth and with all your heart. Consider what great things he's done for you, right? We can so often focus on what we think God hasn't done, what he hasn't given us, or what our life looks like. He says, remember what he's done for you. That needs to be our focus. What has he done for you? It's, it's hard in any relationship, a marriage relationship, a friendship, if your only thought is what that other person has done wrong or how they haven't fulfilled you somehow or what they haven't done in your life. Your relationship with those people is going to stink. You haven't been a good husband. You haven't been a good wife. You don't clean enough. You don't cook enough. You don't... Right? Instead of appreciating and thinking about what they have done, why would that be any different with the Lord? Look at what he's done for you. Guess what? Something happens to you today, if you're a Christian, you're going to heaven because of what Jesus did. This life, it's, the Bible says, is a vapor. It's here today. It's going to be gone. Right? Think of what he's done. Be thankful. And he says, but if you still do wickedly, you should be swept away, both you and your king. There's correction coming. We need to know how important our testimony is. It's massive. God has chosen the foolish things of the world, just people, the foolishness of preaching to save people. It's our life, our testimony. He uses us. He's equipped us with everything we need. He's given us his word and his Holy Spirit. We need to pray, Lord, Help my testimony. Help my attitude. Because tomorrow, everyone, maybe even this afternoon, you're going to leave here and you're going to leave a mark on someone. Might be at the gas station next door. Come on, hurry up. I'm in a hurry. I got to get to Daryl's. Fill my gas. You know, whatever. You're going to leave a mark today. You're going to leave a mark tomorrow. And you're the Bible that people are reading. You're the first one. Could be. Could be. So important. But if you've messed up, if you've blown it, guess what? Samuel says, hey, he's not gonna, he doesn't want to leave you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. It pleased him to make you his people. He loves you. He's in your corner. He loves you. 
He might have to correct you. He's corrected me before, thankfully. Right? Listen, you need someone in your life. A couple people in your life. Invite it. Welcome it. Say, hey, do you see anything in me? Because I can be thick-headed. I see in the mirror, mirror on the wall. Like, I'm beautiful, right? I'm fine. I'm great. You need somebody that's able to say, hey, listen, I love you. And you trust that person. I see this going on in your life. It's not good. I see that happening. Invite that. Welcome it. It's okay. Don't bite people's heads off. And be willing to change. Make the proper adjustments. See if it goes along with what God's been showing you in his word. You hear it at Bible study. You hear it at church. Right? So, Lord, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for who you are. God, we're thankful for your spirit, for your presence. We're thankful, Lord, that you, you, you said you'll never leave us or forsake us, Lord. You told the disciples to go and make disciples, to teach, and that you'd be with them. There's the power infused in our life the fellowship we have with you. We're so thankful for that, Lord. And I pray if someone here doesn't know you, uh, that they would soften their hearts to the reality that you died for them, that you want to be their God no matter what their past looks like. We just love you so much, Lord. Just give you our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys got to know how much the Lord loves you cares so much for your life. He'll never leave you.